Like I said, we, we decided to, to mix it up a little bit, and you see the title today is Remembering the Body and Blood of Jesus. Just thought, uh, appreciate you all being flexible. Uh, we're pretty we're pretty good about keeping things on schedule, but just kind of felt like it, you know, we could mix it up a little bit this time and, and have a, you know, special time, special communion on a special uh, weekend, right? And so at, at sunrise of Sunday morning, December 7th, 1941, 350 Japanese warplanes flew through a mountain pass over the island of Oahu and rained death and destruction on Pearl Harbor. Eight battleships and ten smaller warships were sunk or put out of commission. 200 American planes were destroyed and 3,581 servicemen were killed or wounded. The USS Arizona took a bomb <coughs> down its stack. The boilers, oil tanks, and munitions magazine exploded. The battleship went down in eight minutes entombing 1,177 sailors. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt called the day of the sneak attack a day of infamy. The national battle cry with which the United States entered World War II was, Remember Pearl Harbor. Other battle cries that have marked our nation's uh, uh, 200-year-plus history uh, would be uh, things such as Remember the Alamo Um, and Remember the Maine and of course, never forget 9-11, right? See, some things we need not forget, amen? Uh, and, and there's something about memories, um, like, or the act of remembering that's intriguing to me. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I, I, I think about that. Like, uh, I mean, what do we choose to remember? Like, um, and, and, you know, Sally will tell you and the girls will tell you, like, my memory's terrible. It just is. I, I wish it was better. Um, I just forget things, you know, and, and even today, Sally was talking about the time we had Skippy, our old puppy in here, uh, and he come, come in, he, we, he was back in the back, but he decided to come join everybody else, and he peed on Mr. Jim Brink, and y'all know, if it, anyway, I don't remember that, some of y'all may, does anybody remember that? See, I don't remember, but then when she said it, I'm like, yeah, I kind of remember when he did that, but kind of a funny moment. Uh, it was like our Mississippi squirrel, you know, here, here, you know, in, uh, in, in Jasper. But, um, but, but, you know, I, I mean, what, like, do we, do we remember like, um, like just good things? Do we push back the bad ones? You know what I mean? Or do we remember uh, bad things and we forget the good ones? Um, interestingly enough, um, well, but let me, I'll get that in just a second, but I just want to add, you know, may, maybe it depends on the type of person. Could it, de- could it depend on the type of person? I don't know. That's just a thought I had. Like, maybe optimistic people have, you know, think about positive ones more often. I don't know if that's true or not. All I do know is uh, that recent research has shown that uh, people tend to remember negative over positive memories. That's a that's a scientific thing, okay? Uh, and and they say think uh, they believe that this tends to lead to depression and anxiety, right? Which I can I can understand that, uh, you know. But but with that said, you know some things we we need not forget, right? And, and um, we should I believe where where we're kind of where, where I like to go here today uh, is that. The idea of of remembering to really look at it as what it should be, it's a verb. It's an action. Uh, it is a purposeful choice. Y'all see where I'm going? All right, we're choosing 
to remember uh, remember something. Um, and, and sure, uh, you know, uh, we have some strange occurrences that happen that we remember. But what I believe we should do as Americans um, and obviously as Christians, as it relates to the people who fought and died for our freedom, is to actively engage in remembrance. And that's exactly what Memorial Day is for, right? It's for taking the moment, taking the time uh, to reflect on the people who, who have fought for our country all right, and, and paid the ultimate price. And, and while communion, all right, while the Lord's Supper is, is not necessarily a national battle cry, that could be a whole other sermon as far as it being a battle cry for us as Christians, uh, it too is a call to remembrance. Right? Uh, most communion tables, and I didn't even look, does it say in remembrance of him on the table? All right. Um, every church you go to, it's probably going to say that in remembrance of Him, of Him, Jesus Christ. Uh, so some things we need not forget. All right. See, the Lord's Supper is a meal that we receive, and and we'll do that at the end of the service today. Just as we take the elements and receive them into our bodies, uh, it ref- it reflects that we have taken Jesus Christ and received Him into our lives as our substitution. But the Lord's Supper is more than a meal. It's, it's, a, it's a memorial. So when we share in the bread and the cup, we have not only the responsibility of receiving, but also remembering. And, the, and that's a whole other sermon as well that we can get to, as, as there's some warnings about how you go uh, and, you know, when, when, you, when you take the communion. All right? um, and, and so uh, as we celebrate Memorial Day uh, this weekend, may we, in relation and connection to Memorial Day, Remember Jesus Christ, amen, today and every day. And so uh, as followers of Christ, we should remember the body and the blood of Christ. Very simple message today. Uh, and I'm going to uh, credit um, a, a few people, especially Thomas Nelson here in a moment. But, but let's go ahead and, and get into it. So there's a theologian named Arthur Pink. And in his study of Genesis, he says that Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, he claims is the first gospel sermon. All right, so let me let me share that with you, and you're probably going to be like, "What, brother Patrick?" <laughs> all right, but uh, but stay with me. There's a point. All right, stay with. Me. So Genesis three twenty one, all right, says this: The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. Strange, huh? Wait, you, Patrick, you're saying that is the first gospel message in the Bible? Yes. Yeah, I agree with Arthur Pink. Uh, see, Adam and Eve had sinned earlier in the same chapter. I remember I read it earlier today. Okay, I'm not going to read the whole thing again. All right, but but they they made the choice to to eat the fruit. Okay, Eve gave it to Adam. He ate as well, and then they realized. All right, verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. All right, and they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. A sin has now entered the world. Okay, so so they were aware of their sin. Right? They, they knew that they messed up, and then they immediately tried to cover themselves up, all right, and you know, figuratively maybe cover up. Maybe God didn't see what we just did, all right, and so uh, they covered themselves with fig leaves. But, but by their own efforts, they, were, they would never be able to cover the guilt and the shame that they felt by their own efforts, right? And so, in fact, they, they went on, and, and we could go back. We're not going to read everything in there. It's in Genesis chapter 3. You can read it uh, anytime you want. Uh, they went on to blame. They started the blame game, right, all the way back then. So, so Adam blamed Eve, right? And who did Eve blame? The snake, the serpent, okay? All right, and so <laughs> Adam's like, it's this woman you gave me. <laughs> and Eve is like, that won't be the sermon message on Father's Day, by the way. Okay, all right, but... <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Bad joke. But, um, yeah, and then Eve's like, well, it's that snake. You know, he tricked me, right? And so God then proceeded 
at that point to announce curses on the snake, okay, along with uh, a curse on women and a curse on men, which my wife uh, always likes to remind me that the curse on the man is really on both. All right, uh, and the one and the woman is just on the women, and it's just there's some truth. There's definitely truth in that. So, uh, so uh, what, you know, but was was that it? I mean, what was was that? Is that the end of the story? Uh, the story, you know, or are we going to? Um, uh, was it Paul Harvey? Right? Um, is that you know the, the rest of the story is the rest of the story. Yeah, I thought I was right. I had, I had a mental, uh, you know, whatever going on right there. Um, but uh, is that it? Say so, no. See what what did God do, All right? And, and I'm gonna it's not up there, Miss Ron. it's okay, okay. Uh, I'm gonna read to you that verse again, Genesis three twenty one. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. But where did the skins come from? Yeah. All right, animal, All right? And so he he killed an innocent animal, and he made a garments for them from the skin of this animal. Uh, Thomas Nelson, got to give credit to him because sometimes when you're doing, re- you know, when I'm studying, I come across stuff that I can't paraphrase, okay, and it's not my own, all right, so I got to, I don't know if it's my English teacher in me, I got to give credit, right, I, and Ms. Ronda, you know, I know not all preachers do that, and it probably takes away from the flow of the sermon, the people watching and listening, like, that's right, but I, I still like to give credit where credit's due, and so Thomas Nelson said that there are four things about salvation that are evident from that verse, I got to give him credit for it, but I agree with him, I agree with him, and so uh, it'll be all up here, okay, all four. So the, the first thing is this of God alone. Salvation is of God alone. He, he made the decision all right, to, to do just that, to, to, uh, to take care of these, uh, these two people who had messed up, okay? It is from him. And then it is accomplished by the death of an innocent substitute, right? uh, probably a lamb, which is the fourth thing you can see there. We'll get to that in a moment. But it was accomplished by the death of an innocent substitute. They killed an animal, all right, and made skins for them. And then it's accomplished by the shedding of blood. The animal had to die, okay? Blood was literally shed. And then the last one, it is accomplished by the slaying of a spotless lamb. I think you could argue you could, that could go with uh, the second and third points. But I want to take that one and, and, and kind of go, go with it. Uh, because you have to look in Genesis chapter 4, the next chapter, all right, and then in verse 2, right, I'm just going to read verse 1 and 2. It says, A man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have made a male child with the Lord's help. Verse 2, she also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. So you could argue they are, you know, there was already sheep there. Okay, and so that's where that's coming from. That's a, that was implied in the next chapter. But I want to take, as we look at the body, all right, number one, the body, and then number two, the blood. So it's not three points today, just two. All right, um, and so uh, we're going to look at that uh, as we talk about the body. With the help of Thomas Nelson, there are a few things. I want to, again, I want to give him credit because I couldn't have done it any better. I love the, the verses that are with it, and we're going, to, we're going to talk about these, some in more detail than others. All right, but I, I want you to see several things about the Lamb. Okay, and sorry, um, uh, Miss Dolores, these, these are not, um, you know, start with the same letter, all right, alliterative, but body and blood do. Okay, so we're, we're good there today, right? So check that off. All right, so uh, the lamb, number one, is necessary. See, the, the sin of Adam and Eve, uh, we, we see what happened there. Um, it starts with that. So they, they sin. God's got to take care of this, okay? And so Romans, and also Romans 5.12, so all the way in the New Testament, Going back now, turning to the right in our Bibles, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, 
in this way, death spread, spread to all people because all sinned. So, uh, you know, I, I actually had one person in my life who believed that they were, they had never sinned. Seriously, I actually talked to somebody. I, I was, uh, I was uh, uh, in college, I was uh, involved in campus outreach, and we did a summer beach project, and, and you'd go to different things. you work during the week, you go to different uh, meetings during the week, and you'd get hooked up with the church. And on Saturdays, you went and talked to people about Christ on the beach. Okay? Uh, and, and so uh, I actually talked to somebody there who says, yeah, I've never sinned before. Really? Never, never told a lie? Even a small lie? A fib? You never, you never took something that didn't belong to you, not once. You know, oh, I haven't. But most people will admit, yeah, we, we, we've, we've messed up. Okay, and so the first step, and that's important because the first step in in salvation is what admitting, right? You know, you hear it in Bible, uh, vacation Bible school. They're going to have in a couple of weeks. It's all, they always sing a song every year, and it's always like ABCs, and the A's going to be admit, admit that you're a sinner. I, I found it interesting that even for um, addiction, for, for people, for addicts, okay, uh, alcohol or drugs, um, the first step in recovery is something that's called self-honesty. All right, self-honesty. Because, because that is weird, you know, and I even read a statement today from one of it. It says, it says, admit that we do not have power to control our addiction. That's what it says. Admit that we do not have power to control our addiction and that our lives have become completely unmanageable. Can you relate? Pre-Christ, okay? PC instead of BC, you know? Like, uh, like pre, pre, pre-Christ or before Christ, you use that a bit, our own personal BCs, right? Like we, we know that our lives were a wreck, amen? And, it's still, and, we're, and we're still a mess. We're continue, we continue to go to God. We, we continue to preach the gospel to ourselves uh, every moment, Amen. And so the first thing is realizing that the lamb is necessary. And then the second thing, if you are taking notes, the lamb is provided. It's provided. God provided it. Um, and then, so we're going to look uh, back at a time. We're not going to go through the whole story, but it's in Genesis chapter 22. Um, and it's a pretty remarkable story that I'm guessing most of you know. All right, It's Abraham and Isaac. All right? And so Abraham is, is, is walking up to Moriah. Okay, in the land of Moriah, and like, okay, we're going, you know, he, he was told to sacrifice his son. Okay, and so he's got Isaac, all right, he leaves his, his attendants, his, his servants uh, back, and he says, y'all come on, he puts the wood on, you know, Isaac, Isaac's carrying the wood, all right, after a while, Isaac's like, hey, dad, uh, where's the lamb? You know, where's the, where's the sacrifice? And he's like, just keep going, son. All right, and then he actually goes to slay his son, all right, and God says, okay, all right, stop, stop. And then in verse 8, Abraham answered, God, oh, first off, I, I actually messed up my timing there. God, this was earlier, so verse eight earlier. All right, where when when Isaac asked uh, Abraham, you know, about the sacrifice. Okay, he says God will God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walk on together, and then, okay, as he was about to slay his son, verse thirteen and fourteen, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. And, and how many of y'all can relate to God? I think I'm thinking like in the nick of time, you know, I, you know uh, that that God God saved you at the perfect time for you, right? Um, but boy, you could probably look back and say. Whew, I'm sure I'm glad God saved me. There's no telling what I would have done. 
right? Uh, he saved me in the nick of time. And, and that, when I think about that story, I think that, that, you know, poor Isaac hadn't really done anything, you know, but that, you know, is so the analogy falls a little bit weak there, all right? But if we can put ourselves on that altar, it should have been me. All right, Citizen Way, I think, sings a song about that. It should have been me dying on a cross. You know, it, should, it uh, definitely should have been me. I'm the one that deserved it, but God provided a substitute. Amen. And then the lamb, number three, the third point, the lamb is slain. The lamb is slain. And so now go, we'll go a little bit to our right in our Bible to Exodus. Okay? And you have a, a group of people, Israelites, who... Uh, are suffering uh, abuse there and, and hard times, and God provides uh, you know uh, different ways, different uh, different things to get the the uh, the Egyptians' attention. All right, Pharaoh, uh, all the different plagues, and boy, there's some crazy plagues. All right, uh, there. Um, I, I have to say something. A, a shout out to Bill Clayton. Uh, you know he done he's done this ser- sermon called "One More Night with the Frogs." All right, which is a great sermon. I can't do it any better than him. But if you ever get a chance, look back in the plagues, and you'll see one of them's frogs. All right, and Pharaoh said, you know, or, you know, um, I, or Mero, Mero, Moses asked Pharaoh, hey, when do you want me to ask God to, to do away with these frogs? And he said, tomorrow. It's like it's such a mystery. Why didn't you ask for right now? I don't think I would have waited for tomorrow. All right, but uh, Bill Clayton makes a great has, has a great sermon on that. Where it's like one more night with the frogs, one more night with those things that pester our lives. Right, uh, is a choice that was made. But nonetheless, I, I digress there. And so the lamb is slain. And so uh, the last the last plague was the Passover. All right. And so Exodus chapter 2, 12, verses 1 through 7, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is a month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person in the neighbor nearest his house ought to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, all right, which we'll talk about again in a few moments. A year-old male, you may take it from either the sheep or the goat. You are to keep it under the 14th day until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. And then... Verse 13, the blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy when I strike the land of Egypt. And, but if you didn't have, you didn't have the blood all right, on there, then you, people were going to die. All right? And so, I, and I think, you know, what is, our, what is the analogy? What's the connection to us there? Well, you know, God saw fit to pass over us because a sinless lamb was slain. Jesus Christ, Amen. All right, uh, and, and I think about I'm reading the book. I don't know if I told y'all last week. I'm reading the book right now. It takes me a little bit longer because I read slower than I should. But um, uh, a book called Unbroken. All right, um, have anyone seen the the? Have you read that book, Unbroken? Okay, or seen the movie? Unbelievable. Okay, Louis Zamperini is is the guy's name, and and uh, he was a track champion, and and then he goes to war, and then he's he's on uh, he he's his plane gets shot down he's on the water for 47 days and he survives and then he's he's taken by uh by the japanese and and put in these camps that were just awful 
I don't know how else to say it. They, you know, the, the, the Japanese was a country that was very cruel and brutal. Right? Um, at one point, I think it said they killed 250,000 civilians. One, one time. At one, that was one of the numbers I, I remember. Right? They're just br just very brutish, just, just very brutal. Um, and and they, they talked about how, what I was reading yesterday, they talked about how the, this particular camp, towards the end of the war, um, Red Cross was sending food. But so many of these camps, I know the ones that I read about with Louis Epperino, they weren't, they weren't getting the food. The Japanese officers were keeping what they wanted. Yeah, they were taking the good stuff. They weren't giving them anything, okay, hardly. And they, and they talked about this one guy who was really good at stealing things, uh, but, but how he, he, just put, he just said, you know what, I'll take care of that. Right? And he took, he, he basically sacrificed himself. He knew he probably was going to get in trouble. And he went and stole rations and boxes of stuff, all right, which really blown them anyway. So it really wasn't stealing. But anyway, all right, but, but he went and grabbed it and then, and then he got caught. But then he, he escaped. And then he grabbed some more, hid it away, got caught. All right? But he put it in a place where it said basically, uh, you know, um, if you're hungry, if you need something, get it. Okay? He made sure everybody else. Who needed something, which was pretty much the whole rest of the camp, they were getting it. While he got he got uh, caught, and I think they said that they 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 put him outside in the winter for like ten days. Right? Uh, they said there was one one Japanese uh, official that would come and at night who had compassion and would put a blanket over him at night, and then before the morning come, he would go take it back so the you know so his people above him didn't know about it. But just awful, awful stuff, and and, and I, I don't think that's a digression. Not, uh, you know that guy, you know that man made the decision that he'll sacrifice for everybody else, right? All right. And so while he wasn't killed, it's, I think it still goes with it. And so the next thing, the lamb, and I, and I, I mentioned it a few moments ago, the lamb must be perfect. Must be perfect. Um, Leviticus twenty-two verse twenty-one says, "When a man presents a fellowship sacrifice to the Lord to fulfill a vow or a free will offering from the herd or flock, it has to be." unblemished to be acceptable there must be no defect in it okay? it had to be perfect just like our Lord and Savior amen and then the lamb is identified the next point number five is as a suffering Savior and and, and you could read all of Isaiah 53 it's one of my favorite uh, passages um, chapters in the Bible I'm just going to read the first six verses but you know who they're talking about as, as we read it all right who has believed what we have heard and to him and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form of majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turn away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. Amen? And we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, Verse 5, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. And then we find the next point simply, the Lamb is Jesus. All right, as Jesus comes uh, in, in, in uh, earthly form, all right, he's, uh, and John the Baptist is, is uh, there on the... Uh, you know, baptizing people and all. And then John one twenty nine. the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he, what did he say? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is identified as Jesus. Amen. And then the Lamb is to be trusted for salvation. The, uh, 
the last main point there for number one. First Peter 1, starting in verse 18, says this, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, passed on, by the way, all the way from Adam's sin, Okay, uh, your baby, your little babies are not perfect, right? Okay, what's well, one of the first words a, ba- a child says? Mine. Okay, all right. Uh, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundational world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Is your faith and hope in God? I pray that it is today. See, believers are to break bread. Uh, you know, the, the, the cracker, the, the bread, representing the body of Christ in remembrance of Jesus' death because he did die, but he didn't stay dead. Amen? And so, so 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Sally read more verses there, but 3 and 4 says, Paul says, For I pass on you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scripture. See, people like to say, you know, they don't want to believe it. It's a choice. To me, it takes more faith not to believe it. Okay? I mean, you know, it's all they made it up. You know, they moved, they removed Jesus' body. All right? Or, you know, no. Um, this was written not after, not too long, uh, 1 Corinthians, not too long after uh, these events took place. So these people, when he says, uh, you know, that some of them are still alive, that's literally the case. Right? That, and so he goes on to say um, in, verse, in, in verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the 12. He appeared to the 12 disciples, and then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters. Right? That, that happened. Like we don't, we don't talk about that a lot in church, but that literally happened. Okay? He, he, how can 500 people have the same story? Okay? Like, again, it takes more faith not to believe it. It's a choice that people make. And, and then he says, last of all, he appeared... You know, he appeared to James. He appeared to uh, Apostle. He, he appeared to me. All right, I'm nothing. Um, of course, we would say Paul's a pretty incredible dude. All right, but still, he says that he is nothing. All right, and see, believers, he died. See, without death, there is no resurrection. Amen. He did it for us, for our sins. He was our substitute. And speaking of substitutes, I, you know, I had to tell you one kind of a, a little joke here today. So, uh, on the Sunday that the church was supposed to make uh, their giving commitments. Uh, the organist fell sick to a uh, sick, so a substitute was brought in, almost like you know, Mr. Loris is not here, Alex or Alex not here, Mr. Loris, whatever. Okay, uh, and the organist, uh, a substitute was brought in. The pastor gave her a schedule of the service and asked her to think of something to play during the commitment time. You'll like this with Mr. Loris. At, at the scheduled time in the service, the pastor said, "I want anyone who is committing one thousand dollars to the building fund to stand up." The organist then immediately began playing the Star-Spangled Banner. Uh, and that is how the substitute organist became the regular organist. All right, okay, but <laughs> there you go, $1,000. All right, stand up. Okay, all right, anyway. all right, some of y'all are getting it now. Sorry, okay, all right. Uh, but in all seriousness, Jesus was our substitute, and we are eternally grateful. Isaiah 53, verse 6, I want us to read that one again. We all, we all went astray like sheep. Not some of us, not most of us, we all Went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. All right, that's why we continue to to, to preach. You know that that, that salvation is, is substitution. It's it's you know I trust what Jesus did on the cross is counting for me in my place. In my place, Amen. First Peter two twenty four says he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree, 
so that having died the sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And he did so willingly. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't require us to clean up ourselves first. Romans 5, 8, again, one of my favorite verses, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who can say amen to that? I'm just, I'm so thankful he didn't wait for me to get my life right because I couldn't get it done anyway. I could have tried all sorts of things. I could have gone to church more often, right? but I could never get the stain off of my life, the stain, the blood stains on, that, that can never scrub it clean. Right? Only the blood of Jesus, which is the next one. Right? And so believers are to drink the cup representing the blood in remembrance of the new covenant which Jesus ratified in his blood. Okay? So Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament promise of a new covenant Found in Jeremiah, I want to read to you uh, about, about that new covenant that was mentioned in Jeremiah. Okay? It says, look, verse 31, in chapter 31, it says, Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, the Lord's declaration. Verse 33, instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, all right, uh, the Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts, okay, which is what he's done with us today. I will be their God and they will be my people. Okay? He is our God. Okay? We are his people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, No to the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. Okay? What a wonderful covenant. And then we see in Hebrews that Jesus brings that new covenant. Therefore, He, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant. He is the mediator of what we just talked about. So that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because a death has taken place. Whose death? Jesus Christ. For redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So yeah, a covenant is an agreement. Kind of like kind of like this one there was a, a married couple that were celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary as a party uh, at the party everybody wanted to know how they managed to stay married so long in this day and age the husband responded well when we first got married we came to an agreement I would make all the major decisions and my wife would make all the minor decisions sound good to you no okay uh, at which point the wife took up the tail and in 60 years of marriage we have never needed to make a major decision alright so <laughs> So, <laughs> amen, amen, ladies, oh me, fellas, right? Okay, um, but on this, on this idea, one thing about covenant, uh, covenants were, were usually ratified by blood, it, you know, during that, during that time, in, in the Old Testament time, and they're bringing their sacrifices, and we already talked about that earlier in today's message. Um, we'll look at ex- Exodus 24, verses 6 through 8. It says, Moses took half the blood, to, and there was blood obviously involved. Right, uh, and sometimes when you read it, you know you're like, "Uh, oh, that's blood. That was blood talk." But it, it had to be done. See, Moses took half the blood and set it in basins. The the other half of the blood he splattered on the altar. He then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. They responded, "We will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded." Moses took the blood, splattered it on the people, and said, "This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words." And so is the new covenant with Christ. Ephesians 1 7 says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption. What? Through his blood. Through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Said, and I've said this many times in this church. I, I'm just so thankful to be in a church that does is not afraid to talk about the blood of Christ. 
Right? Amen. We're not afraid to sing it either. Right? Uh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right? When's the last time that you really read the lyrics of that? Okay. Right? You know, I'm not going to read all of them, but just listen to a few. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Your, your sin can't be atoned for, can't be made up for, except for the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done. And boy, we mess that up all the time, don't we? All right? I can handle it. I can do it, especially nowadays. All right? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So as we come to a time of communion, I'm going to ask uh, my, my helpers and Steve and, and, and Jimmy, can y'all uh, help me real quick? And we'll go ahead and pass the elements out as we will now go into a time of communion. And we'll come back and, and wrap up right, the, the, okay, with the conclusion. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and end it. Right. They're not going to get all of it. They don't need all of it today. <laughs>